Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out Fear, For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother for whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother brother. It's the word of the Lord. Courtney, that was Courtney McGee. If you haven't met Courtney, he's a great guy. He's new on staff in our apprentice program, working on being a biblical counselor. We are going to jump into um, our first week in this dating series. I'm just kidding. If you were here when I first came on staff, people were like, we need to talk about dating, we need to talk about dating, we need to talk about dating. And I was like, yeah, young adults, we'll talk about dating. And it turned into like the longest six or eight or felt like 100 weeks in my whole life. Um, And so people are like, you should do a dating series. I'm like, they're online. You can go go listen. Um, But I, you know, I, I, I love love and February 14th is a Tuesday night in 2023. It'll be great. Uh, I do think these next few weeks could be really, really impactful uh, for you, but also just for me. You know, when you teach, you you get the most out of it. Looking at the Trinity, and I just appreciate that you want to be here and you you didn't just leave after dinner because we're going to just dive straight into the deep end here, and we're going to talk about one of the most incredible Um, in some circles, mystical, in some circles, such mystery is around the idea of the Trinity that, um, as Michael Reeves calls it, it becomes the the soft 
gooey middle that nobody can quite make sense of. But I, I think that the Lord has given us enough clues in the scripture that some of the mystery can be expounded upon and the person of God can be known to a much deeper extent by his revelation for his glory and our good. And I think these next few weeks are gonna be really sweet as we dig into that. My encouragement to you, um, I'm using some from this book. I, I pulled from lots of different sources, but the easiest little tiny book you'll ever read on the Trinity that was just written a couple of years ago is this book called Delighting in the Trinity, An Introduction to the Christian Faith by Michael Reeves. Um, everybody kind of worth their salt out there from Allie Beth Stuckey to the Bible Project folks to, um, the, to Nine Marks to you name it. All the people out there are like, you should read this book. Um, and they're not wrong. And so, and they disagree on some other stuff, but they all agree that this is a worthwhile resource. So, Courtney just read a long passage. I am going to teach from a few of those verses. And so I want to just reread a few of the verses. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. I'm in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we, you and I, young adult gathering tonight, not that you and I love God, but that he loves us. That's what love is. And he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So tonight on the Trinity, week one, no illustrations of eggs or H2O in its various states or me being Heather's husband and your pastor tonight and, uh, and my parents' son. Like, we won't go into those kinds of illustrations. We're not gonna break this down where tonight we talk about the Father and next week we talk about the Son and the next week we talk about the Holy Spirit. Those illustrations are helpful and those types of series on the Trinity are helpful, but I want us to take a little bit more of a holistic approach these next few weeks to try to understand who the triune God is and not divide even further. Oh, there you're talking about the Spirit. Oh, there you're talking about the Father. Oh, there you're talking about Jesus to where it almost divides the Trinity even further and we go from, uh, we're, we're no longer a monotheistic faith. Now, one of the best ways to understand your thoughts on the Trinity is for me to ask you this question. And it's gonna seem like a curveball, but here's the question. What was God doing before the world was made? Okay, tell the person next to you. Ready, go. Now, here's the deal. This is, this is a question, um, I'm, Sometimes you like, you remember writing papers and you quoted so many sources and you read so much stuff that you're like, one of the people said that. Um, I'm not sure exactly who asked that question, but I've seen that question come up a few times in different sources when people talk about the Trinity. And it's a really good question because probably in your mind, you think of potentially maybe a lonely and bored God. And so he makes us so he'll have some friends. 
And even if you didn't say that, like we've all kind of wondered that a little bit because that's what we do. Even the most introverted person around, you give them enough time by themselves and they're like, I should probably see a person now. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, like you, you give it, even that person's like, I'm a little lonely. And so we kind of think of God being maybe just like a little lonely and like maybe that's why he made us and then the whole thing blows up and he has to come up with this plan to rescue us. But that's not the picture of God that the Bible paints. The picture that the Bible paints is a God who was completely content in the triune singular being that he is completely happy, completely had fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, completely perfect in and of himself. And now that flips a lot of things on its head when you ask the question, well, why am I here then? Because you weren't needed, and I wasn't needed, and he wasn't lonely As Lewis said, sixpence none the richer when I come bringing God a gift. It's not like I can give him something he doesn't already have. I can't make him complete or whole. And so we want to kind of delve into this incredible picture of the God we just sang to. And when I finish in a few minutes and I pray, we'll sing to again. The God that we tout, we represent if we claim to be Christian when we go to work. Tomorrow, if you come here because you work remote and you partake in what we call Wild Wednesday, which is where people come to the collective and they work, um, and, uh, and then they eat lunch and then they work, and then they got to get home to beat traffic from work. Uh, and so some people really do work, but... Um, but you, you want to know, who am I singing to? So there's two, two great theologians. One is A.W. Tozer and one is C.S. Lewis. Tozer has this famous line and he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I just asked you a question that brought into your mind what you think about God. C.S. Lewis, however, uh, kind of refutes Tozer a little bit, and he says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is saying what we think of God by him is, is what we, how we think of God. And he said, it is not. How God thinks of us is the most important thing. And so what I want to do is kind of blend both of those worlds together, and I want to address how you think of God, and I want to rightly, I want us to rightly see what God thinks of us. Now, I think we have to back up before we can really dig into the Trinity. We have to ask the most basic question. And this is what um, some Jewish scholars and some Muslim scholars, this would be the first thing they would ask you. They would say, show me in the Bible where it says there is a Trinity. And so this word Trinity is not in your Bible. This is a word that theologians have come up with to try to put an understanding, some framework around who God is. So Trinity is not in the Bible. Go to Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. It's the, it's the most famous Old Testament verse there is. Uh, it's called the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. That word Echad at the end means one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. 
Now, Deuteronomy 6, the verse that God gave Moses to tell the people, the verse that Jewish people some to this day pray three or five times a day, says, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Echad, echad means one. It also means alone. So does the Old Testament even give a hint that there is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, the short answer is yes. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we begin to see the triune person of God. We begin to see glimpses of the Son, promises of the Son, prophecies of the Son stepping out of heaven, coming to earth. We see God the Father over and over again. We see works of the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon Elijah, and he goes after the 450 prophets of Baal. So we do see God in a triune fashion, but the theological term is called progressive revelation. You have progressive revelation every time you meet a new friend. You sit down and you're like, you like Asian food too. And so you've just learned a little bit about them. And then you're like, you like scary movies too. And then it's, your family's from Mississippi too. And like, as we go on, you learn more and more and more. The difference is with people, sometimes we learn things that are bad. With God, we never learn anything that is bad, but the scriptures begin to reveal more and more fully this picture of a triune God to the point that by the, te- that by the time Jesus comes on the scene at his baptism in Matthew chapter three, I'll read it to you. It says, John would have been would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Now, pay attention here. This is Son, the Son of God, coming up from the water. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And then he heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Which also sounds a lot like Genesis chapter one, by the way. When the world is created by a word that the father speaks and the spirit hovers over the water, What we see in Matthew is the same thing we see in Genesis 1, in Genesis, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, the scriptures have progressed. The revelation of God has progressed to the point that now God is ready to show us Father, Son, and Spirit all together. By the time we get to the end of the gospel of Matthew, who's been like dunked? Baptized, raise your hand. All right, this is great. Um, So some of you will get dunked like right here. Some of you, I will dunk right here. One second for every really bad sin. I'm just kidding. Um, And so, totally kidding. Chief among sinners, I would be down for a long time. Uh, And so like, but some of you will get dunked right here and some of you have been baptized here. And 
what we see at the end of the ministry of Jesus on earth is a really, really full picture of the Trinity to the point that Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what we see at this point, at the beginning, we see, oh, that's Father, Son, and Spirit. By the end, it's plain language. So we need to start to ask questions. Well, what, what difference does a Trinitarian God make to me? What difference does a Trinitarian God make to the rest of the world? What difference does a Trinitarian God make when I pray, when I confess, when I pray for me, when I pray for you, when I ask for him to do a work here on earth, in my life, in someone's life, in a circumstance? What role, how does all of that work together? Because it matters deeply, actually. So Deuteronomy 6.4 isn't a refutation of the New Testament teaching. It's a call to love the one God who is triune above all else. So back to the original question. What do we think God was doing before the creation of the world? Whatever God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit wanted to do that did not conflict with the perfect, loving nature of God. And he was happy all the day as he did that. You know, as we get into this next part, I want to read to you a line from a Benjamin Hastings song. I'm a big fan of old Benji. That's probably not what he goes by. I'll never say that again. All right. <laughs> and here's the thing. At Christ's Covenant, you come on staff here or you go here long enough, you like, can, you, your name is gone. Like, I've never been Tom in my whole life. And when I came on staff, they were like, Tom. I was like, who? And like, it's with an H. Like, they write it on things. They're like, Tom, this is Tom's. And I'm like, who is Tom? It's always been Thomas. Um, the other day, David Bailey and I have known each other for a long time. David behind the, the, the front of house back there with the ball cap on. Um, the other day, Will Carlisle called him Dave. And I was like, who is Dave? Like, you can't keep a name. So Will is now Bill. All right. There we go. So Benjamin Hastings, as we get into this next part and really start looking at 1 John 4, said this, I've tried with the best of my words to be true to who you really are but I wonder how far I fell short. Do you recognize yourself in my songs? And for me, I would say in my sermons. Because all that I want is the truth, and I, the truth, and I hope my theology's close. But who could summarize infiniteness? To think that I know only proves that I don't. A mystery I'll never quite get. That's the Jesus that I know. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Thinking of this triune God, beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. So that tells us, and by the way, when you read the New Testament, when you hear the word God, oftentimes in the New Testament, the title God is representative of the Father in the Godhead. So when you think about the Trinity and you read the New Testament, when you see the word God, oftentimes in the New Testament, it is referring to the Father. 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God does not. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. What we see here is a really, really powerful indictment. And the indictment is, um, Callie. Callie and I have known each other for a long time. Just like raise your hand up there, Callie. See Callie right there? There's Callie raising her hand. Callie was baby Jesus in a Christmas play when I was Joseph and her mom was Mary. So that's how long Callie and I have known each other. And, uh, so, it, you know, where was, I, where was I going with that? Okay, Callie, there we go. Callie, has a, Callie is a believer. She's, she's given her life to Christ. And, and we just have to make eye contact, so that's why I'm picking on her. Anna saw her in her small group earlier. But Callie has given her life to Christ. She graduated from tech. She's a working, working girl now in the city, like got the big job doing all the stuff. And so Callie is, uh, I know she's a believer. What this verse tells me is that she is capable of loving people. Now, if, if someone here would say, I'm not yet a Christian, or I'm not a Christian, I'm checking this out, this is a pretty offensive verse, because what this verse would say is, then you are not really capable of fully loving someone. I don't need to make that any more offensive than it already is. But in the Christian understanding, this actually makes perfect sense. So 1 John 4, I mean, starts off with a bang. It's very exclusive. It says only Christians are capable of truly loving. By the way, this explains a lot of relationship theology that's in the Bible. When it talks about don't be with unequally yoked people, what fellowship does light have with darkness? It's, it's protective language. And it's all undergirded in passages like this. But uh, I think this, this is a little bit of a mystery. Proverbs 25.2 says, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. So I wanna just try to, to search these out for a few minutes. And so we're gonna do this by drawing. I have had a lot of coffee today and my hands were a little shaky. I've drawn this several times. So good luck understanding. Um, but here's, here's what we'll, we'll do. I have my cheat sheet here. I'm just gonna... I want to just give you a couple of four instances. So 1 John starts off, 1 John, it's a big screen, isn't it? 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says that God is what? Says that God is love. Now, the problem there is that we just have God. We don't have the full picture of the Trinity, so let me, let me kind of rework this a little bit for you. If I do three circles here, what you see is the old symbol in the middle for the Trinity. Now, if we come over here and we call this the Father, and we call this the Son, and we call this the Holy Spirit, and we still claim that 1 John 4, 7 and 8 are truthful, then this is where love lives. Love lives in this picture here. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the triune God. They are one, but they are distinct. And now, the Father, according to uh, John, or according to, to Matthew 3.17, which we just read, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father loves the Son. In John chapter 14, verse 31, it says that the Son is doing these things because he loves the Father. The last verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, is the last book, the last verse of the book, says that there is grace and love from the Father and the Son, and then there is fellowship from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit provides this unity, this fellowship that the love seems to flow all around in. Now, we have a little bit of a problem because once we sinned, we became separated from this love. Now remember, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says that anyone who is in Christ, in God, through Christ, loves, and anyone not born of God does not love. So this is the natural man over here out by himself. Are we tracking so far? This is the natural man out by himself. And we see here, there's a problem. What's the most famous verse in the New Testament? Mm, thank you. I'll use that. All right, John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. For God, remember, what, who does God refer to oftentimes in the New Testament? The Father. There we go. Good. This is so good. You're doing great. All right. For God, the Father, so loved the world. What happens next? The Father gives his Son to the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you go to John chapter 1, if you go to John 1, verses 1 through 5, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made through him, and not anything that was made wasn't made unless he made it. That's my paraphrase. So, we know that Jesus is the life giver in John 1, 1 through 5, but also in John 1, 14, we know that Jesus stepped out of earth and took on flesh. So what we have here is what's called, I didn't mean to do all that. What we have here is called, we'll just erase these, there we go. The hypostatic union. It's when Jesus steps into the role of a person. They become, he becomes still the son, but also man, and God sent him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that he gave up his riches to become poor, that we might become rich. 
Let me draw it for you again a little differently. This time, we'll do a few other circles. We'll have the Holy Spirit. We'll have the Father. We'll have the Son. And once again, we'll put ourselves over here. Now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all joined together in love, and we are outside of that love. And when the Son joins up with humankind in flesh, he also does something else. He becomes sin who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin becomes sin on our behalf. And what happens when he does this is he begins to switch spots with us. And when we, John 3.16, see that God, the Father, has loved the world and sent the Son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have life. Here's what we start to understand. We start to understand that then God draws us into himself. And that is how we can love because now we're in love. Do you see the scriptures? The scriptures say that we are in Christ. Do you understand Romans 8, 1? It's so powerful. It says, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. And if you are in the Father through the Son, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in, you have the Spirit, the fellowship. And now, this is the big, big, big picture in the Bible. Uh, in the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, uh, it talks about this marriage feast of the Lamb. And what you see is this incredible culmination that the Father loves the Son so much that he then, after redeeming mankind by giving his son, then gives his son mankind back as his bride. This is the, the, the beginning of understanding this, these verses that you read so often, the things that we just kind of read and we're like, yeah, uh, well, I mean... Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, I'm gonna try really hard to love other people because, because God is love and I'm a Christian. No, 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 we need to have our understanding corrected. Romans 12, we need to renew our minds and realize that, look, I was once outside. I was exiled. I was far away. And the Father, the one who we think of as the one who destroys nations and is really angry, He's the one who loves us so much that he said, I'm gonna send you my son and separate him from myself that he might take on flesh and take your sin that you might be brought back into the love of God. And as you're brought back into the love of God, I'm gonna give you to the one who died for you that you might become his bride, that all of us may dwell together as you give glory to him and we glory each other in each other and you glory in us. And it's this incredible union that now you as a Christian are brought into. And so you wonder things like when you sin and you bring sexual sin into this why the consequences are so bad. 
You wonder why when you, you don't care much about knowing and following God, why you just wonder why your prayers just bounce off the ceiling and come back down to you. Look at where you reside. You are now hidden in Christ. Your life is not your own. You have been seated in the heavenly places. This is a big deal. It was a divine plan to draw you out of darkness into marvelous light. And so our, our application tonight, our application tonight is, is this. One, if you realize like this is not you, you're still somewhere on the outside. If you're in the man, you're in the man circle and you're on the outside, you need to realize like, oh, I have not been brought into the love of God. And by the way, just saying you're a Christian, having walked an aisle, having said a prayer, that's no currency with the Lord. And in John 5, it says that we can know that we have eternal life. John 5, 11 through 13. I want us to read 1 John 4, 11 one more time. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here is our application for tonight. If you, if you have been called by God to be in him, then you have no choice but to love. That's your only option. It's your only permission. It's your only way to be joyful and content and happy in this broken place we call earth. It's the only option that any of us have. And yet we, we try to crawl out of the divine place that we have been put so many times. We listen to angry podcast hosts and we watch shows about vengeance and we talk about we want justice and we do all these kinds of things and really a lot of that, some of that, some of the, some things are good but what we do is we take them to that next level and we find ourselves crawling out of this triune God who has rescued us and redeemed us and nestled us in himself. Why? Because it's just more comfortable in the dark. It's more comfortable in the old skin. I get it. Look at the last few verses in chapter four of 1 John. It says, there is no fear in love. Look at this. Look at, have you ever wondered about 1 John 4, 18? There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, just look at this. What do we have to be afraid of in this? If this is where you live and this is where you've been bought and purchased to be, by the penal substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for our sins, if this is where you reside, there is no fear. There's, there's no fear because fear involves punishment. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who is gonna condemn you in him? They gotta get through Father, Son, and Spirit to get to you. They got no chance. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has seen cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, listen to this, these last few words, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
So tonight, church, I just want to ask you, this is where you got to do a little soul searching. If you've got anger, if you have bitterness, if there's someone you wish really ill will towards, you got two options according to this passage. You're either in your natural state as an unregenerate person not yet redeemed by Christ and you're in a normal spot and God offers you more. But if you're in Christ and there's some people you just wish would drop dead, folks, it's not the people you need to be worried about, it's the Lord. That is totally against what he, think about, think about what he went through on the cross. As I've thought about this, this passage and this message, I just kept, my mind just kept going back to Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Now we probably had like a little bit of like reason that things went sour. Maybe not all of you, but some of you, the people you're mad at, like you probably had a little bit to do with it. He didn't have anything to do with it. And his cry was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So my call to you tonight is to begin to put down the battle axes of bitterness and anger and Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verses 40, uh, I think it's 45 through 48, 43 through 48, Jesus gives us a couple of prescriptions. And the, one, of, one of the two prescriptions that he gives is to pray for the people who have hurt you. And so I want you just for a second I mean, Will, we don't ever do this. Do you want to just come on? I'm going to like close in a second. Do you want to like strum for a second? Like old school, like D-Now weekend or something? Yeah, that'll be great. I just want to give you like a little second to think, and I want you just to write this down. You can do it in your notes. You can do it like on something. Don't look at the person's paper next to you. I want you to kind of like dig back a little bit and just ask yourself if you are a Christian and you are here in the center, if you're in the Lord, is there anybody who you're refusing love? I mean, I want you to think back to like parents. I want you to think grandparents. I want you to think like that third grade teacher. I want you to like dig back. I don't want you to like make somebody up though. Don't go that far. Is there a coworker? They're the worst, aren't they? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to like spur it on. Um, I'm just kidding. Me and Will are coworkers. We get along great. I want you to, to dig in the recesses. I won't make this overly emotional or milk this more than it needs to be said. But if somebody comes to mind, and I pray, Lord, that you would bring people to mind, that is God trying to free you to be free of fear, and rooted in him 
This is how you let the Lord fight your battles for you. This is how you walk with your head tall as a redeemed person. Did you notice the first word in 1 John 4, 7, the first word we read? Beloved. The Father calls you beloved. Those other people may call you a lot of other things, but the one who counts calls you beloved. And that is good. It's about as sweet as it gets. And he is the one that will see you all the way home and welcome you when you get there. He'll introduce you to your bride and all will be right forever. And in Christ, those really bad folks, you'll hope you see them there too. Father, you really are so good to us. I thank you for your spirit who gives us fellowship. I thank you for your son who gives us grace. I thank you, Father, that you are a good Father who gives us love. And therefore, Lord, if we are in you, may we live out the command that we would love others. May we be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. So here's what I want you to do as we stand and sing. I want you to first deal with business, the business of if the Lord puts someone on your mind. I just want you to talk to the Lord about that person. I want you to start praying for that person. If they're married now, I want you to pray for their spouse. I want you to pray for their kids. If it's too hard for you to pray for that person, we have a whole group of awesome people that'll be in the back corner of the room right over here. They're, they're some of you, they're our young adult prayer team. Just tell them, say, hey, pray for so-and-so. Would you stand? Let's worship the triune God together.